We're continuing our series this morning on 1 Samuel. We're just going to be working our way through the book and seeing what it has to teach us, what God has to show us through what happens there. 1 Samuel is an amazing book full of interesting stories and characters. And it's one of those books that it's essential that we grasp something of the bigger story um, of the Bible as we um, seek to know God's heart and know God's will and His ways. When we're thinking about the big picture of the Bible, this is a book that's central to that because there are things that happen in here to give us a bit of a foundation for all that will happen after here. So that's why we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel. Last week, if you weren't here with us, we looked and we thought about and we started with the fact that 1 Samuel is about a time after the judges. So Israel has made it out of slavery through the wilderness wanderings. They have lived in the time of the judges where they're trying to establish themselves in this new promised land. Things are not going that well. They're falling back into disobedience. God is raising up deliverers. God is delivering his people, and then they're falling back into that cycle again. And that goes on all throughout the time of the judges. And one of the phrases that's repeated in the book of Judges is that in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. And that's the reason why there's this cycle of destruction. But as we move into 1 Samuel and the story of what happens here, we're looking at the time when God establishes a king in Israel and things begin to turn around. So that's what 1 Samuel is really all about. We looked last week at how this character, um, Elkanah, had two wives. So he was, uh, he, was, he was a glutton for punishment, really, but he had two wives, one called Hannah, which was probably his first wife. She couldn't have children. And he had another wife called Peninnah. And usually in that culture, if you couldn't follow on the family line with your present wife, then another woman was, was brought in as a second wife who was going to have the children, who was going to extend the family line. And it was a common thing that was done. And we looked at that character last week. And Hannah, this woman who has deep pain every year with her husband, makes their way up to the tabernacle, which is at Shiloh, which is where God is worshipped, where Eli the priest resides with his two sons. And every year she suffers um, mockery and punishment and hardship at the hands of this other woman in this relationship who makes fun of her that she can't have children. Pretty horrific. But she prays to God and God answers her request. And that's where we pick up the story. Samuel, the boy that is born from this prayer, so let's read from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 21. It says, When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good your word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to Eli, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child. And the Lord has granted me what I have asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. 
and he worshipped the Lord there. So keep your Bible open. We're going to refer back to the story as we did last week. God answers Hannah's prayer. And here's the thing I want to point out right at the outset. Elkanah and Hannah fulfill their promise to God. They fulfill their vow. Hannah had made a vow and said to God, if you will grant me a son, I will give him back to you. And here she is making good her word. Now, we know here there's a bit of um, insight into culture and also what's going on. Hannah is feeding the child. And in that culture, children were fed by their mother until they were about three years old. So she, this is the age that Samuel is. He's probably not much older than three. He's probably around four to seven years old when she brings him to God. So she stays at home while she's looking after him because it's a long journey to go up to Shiloh from where she is. So she stays at home, feeds the boy, and then after that time, she goes back up to the temple and she presents him to Eli. Most likely, he's just a boy. So in verse 24, it says, she took the boy, young as he was, and all you mothers are going, how could she do that? You know, and you're thinking, this is totally awful. But re remember that in Israel at this time, there was no greater honor than to serve as a priest in the temple of God. This was the greatest privilege that anyone could ever have, was to serve God on a continual basis in his presence. So what she is doing is actually setting him up for greatness because this role was only reserved for people of a certain family line. You had to be born into the right family, the right circumstances for you to be somebody who served in the temple. But here we have Hannah's boy, Samuel, serving in the presence of God, in the house of God. There was no greater privilege. And I'm sure this was painful for her. I'm sure this was hard, but she keeps her promise to God. She keeps her promise to God. She would give her child to the Lord. God answers and she does what she said. I couldn't imagine giving Zoe or Eden away for most of their lives to live somewhere else away from me. I couldn't imagine that. Uh, I could have imagined it last night because Zoe coughed all night and it was putting my head away. And the last night I was thinking otherwise. But realistically, as a parent, to give your child who's going to live a few hundred miles away from you most of their lives is a big thing. But I want you to think about this. She honors God with her vow, even with that that matters most to her. And I said this last week, folks, but you have prayed prayers in your life where you have said, God, if you will get me out of this situation, I will do this. But how many of us have actually kept that vow? How many of us have actually followed through with the thing that we've said? But here we have a woman who does, even with this thing that is so, so precious to her. Hannah and Elkanah, on a yearly basis, went here. We read that last week. And their routine, we would often say about people, do you know, are you just going through the motions? Are you doing something just out of religiosity? This is not dead religiosity. Every year they go here, it's a reality thing because when it matters, they actually follow through. So it's a heart thing. It's not just outward performance. It's a heart thing. And I would challenge us, make your Christianity a heart thing not just a routine, an exterior thing, but actually when it matters, when you're in that secret place with God and everything is laid bare before him, are you the same person as you are when you come here on a Sunday? Because these people were. They followed through even with honor, honor and integrity, even when it mattered most. This would have been difficult, but Hannah sets her son up for greatness. 
And it's amazing. Samuel goes on, and we'll discover this. Samuel, Samuel is one of the only characters in Scripture. When he gets to the end of his life, he has lived a blameless life. When he gives his farewell address before he departs and dies, he says, I have been a, a priest and a leader to you people all the days of my life. And have I ever wronged you? Have you ever done anything that's grieved you or anything to hurt you? And the resounding, it's a rhetorical question, but the resounding answer is, as you look at the account, is no. He walked in integrity all of his life, but here is where it all starts. A mother giving to the Lord what she had promised. And he goes on to be a great leader in Israel. In fact, one of the only ones that has a blameless history in terms of his dealings with people. It's an amazing lesson to us. Are we giving to the Lord that which matters most to us? So when we're thinking about our children, what we want for them, our family, our friends, our community, are we giving it into the hands of God or are we trying to do it ourselves? Because here was a woman who shows us a good example. What you have next in the account is Hannah, the mother's prayer. And I would encourage you, can I give you a bit of homework to do? No, people are going, no way, definitely not. I would encourage you this week, take this week to study and have a look at Hannah's prayer. Take a few verses each day and look at what this woman says about God. It's remarkable, remarkable truth, a remarkable prayer. And I would encourage you, if you're thinking about what am I going to read, how am I going to study God's word, read that prayer. And you'll find that in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. It's not a lot, but I would encourage you to do it. So let's read on in the account. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Now we move from a God-fearing family and integrity and honor and right living and heart relationship with God to the opposite. We move to a different family, not of a, a father and two wives, but actually a father and two sons. And there's a massive contrast going on here. Let's read 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. Now, these are the, the words of the Bible, okay? So don't get offended with me. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled, would plunge the fork into the pan, kettle, or pot. Whatever the fork took up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the person said to him, let the fat be burned first and then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. The sin of the young man was very great in the Lord's sight. They were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Now, in your translations, does anyone have the words at the beginning of that passage, Eli's sons were sons of Belial? Anyone have Belial in their passage? In the original, it actually, that's what it says. Eli's sons were the, like um, children of Belial is basically what it means. And it means they were vile and wicked. We use that word scoundrels as a bit of a, a jokey term sometimes, but actually what God is saying about these men is that they were wicked and vile. They were priests of the Lord, but they were doing things uh, that were totally, totally wrong. They were treating the offering of the Lord with contempt. And then you have in verse 18, but Samuel, 
was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it up with her when she went with her husband for the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife saying, may the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. They would go home and the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters while the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. You have one family of integrity, fruitfulness, ministering before the Lord, and you have another family who should know better, who are being wicked, deceitful, and cruel towards people. And this is the contrast that's going on. Let's read on for a moment. First Samuel chapter 2, verse 22. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about the things his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the report I am hearing is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will or purpose to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with his people. Right, we'll finish a reading there. Let me explain what's going on here. In this passage, we have this picture. Priests of the Lord behaving badly and a family who's walking in integrity. And I want us to focus on Eli's sons this morning. They had a privileged position. Their family history, their lineage had led them to this point to be serving God in the tabernacle. They were facilitating the worship of the nation they were administering the offerings. They were maintaining the temple where people met with God. But there were things that were not right. We got a hint of this last week when Hannah went to the tabernacle, when Eli was sitting, sitting down when he should have been standing, and he didn't understand Hannah's distress, even though he should have known what was going on with her. But in our reading today, things go from bad to worse. Eli's sons are treating the offering of the Lord with contempt, and they are even sleeping with the women who come to serve in the temple. What were they doing? What was all that fork stuff about in the cauldron and in the pot? In the Old Testament in Leviticus, when God laid down the rules and the regulations of how the priests were to operate, they were not given land like all the other clans. They were not given an inheritance in that regard. The priests who were to serve with God or for God were meant to be supported by the people who gave the offerings into the house of God. So whenever people brought a sacrifice, the priests were allowed to have certain aspects of that sacrifice for their food to keep them alive so that they would be able to survive. That was what it was for. But what Eli's sons are doing is they're going way above and beyond those regulations. They're sticking a big fork in the pot and pulling up everything. You stick a three-pronged fork in a roast dinner, you're going to get most of it out. And that's what they're doing. They're coming to the people who have made the journey to sacrifice to God and don't maybe have a lot themselves. So when you offered an offering in the Old Testament, you as the offerer could have some of the food for yourself. So you weren't just bringing it and, and leaving it on the altar and having it all burned up. You were allowed to have some of that, certain parts of it. The priests were to have others and God was to have the fat that was burned off that offering. But here you have the priests of God taking from the people 
taking the meat themselves, not even waiting until it's roasted, not even waiting until God gets his share, not waiting until the people get theirs, but they are abusing their position. That's what's going on. That's why it is so, so wrong in this moment. There was very specific parts that was due them, but the people and Eli's sons were not happy with that. They stuck the fork in when the meat was boiling, even when the meat was raw, took it for themselves, and they threatened the people to take it by force. They're taking the peace that belonged to the Lord, which is most important. They're taking the peace that belonged to the people, poor people who didn't have a lot of stuff. And the priests are living in luxury while the people are going hungry. What happens in a few chapters, and we'll read about it in a few weeks, Eli, who is the priest of the Lord, falls off a wall and he dies. And the reason he dies is because he's so heavy. Says Eli was a heavy man, and when he fell, he broke his neck. And that tells you that the priests were stuffing their faces while the people went hungry. And it's a very serious thing. I know it's a bit of a humorous thing as well. I need to watch my weight and how what I'm eating. But they were so full of the people's sacrifices, and the people weren't even getting anything to eat. And there's an indication there of how wicked and how bad things were in this context. So they're treating God and the offering of God with disdain and contempt. They're mistreating the people. And beyond mistreating them, they're actually threatening them. So you imagine coming here on a Sunday to worship and the people at the doors are threatening you with how you're going to go about that worship. Give me this and give me that. That's what's going on. And the people are worried and the people are panicking. And they're also even sleeping with the women who are serving here. These are priests. These are priests of the almighty God. They should know better. How do we relate this to our context, folks? How do we contextualize that for us today? What I'm going to say now is not directed at people who have had a bad week, okay, where you're struggling, where we sang that lovely song, are you burdened with your sin? Are you struggling? Are you, do you need the grace of God? What I'm going to say now is not for you. The grace of God and the arms of God extend to you. What I'm going to say now is in relation to a very specific category of people. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They were vile. They were wicked. They had no regard for the Lord. On a universal and a global church scale, I say this, and I have really broken my heart over this service or this sermon this week. Folks, we have a lot of scoundrels who are playing the part of priests in the church today. We have a lot of vile and wicked people who are standing and masquerading as priests when they are not, and they're doing damage to the people of God. We have people because of heritage and family line, because of oratory skills, because of standing in the community. They're standing, pretending they're ministers of God, but are not. Two weeks ago, I watched a Christian television show where a man who has had his, a history of immoral behavior stand and try to sell a Bible for $1,000 with a straight face. I watched a video of a man who was heralded by many as the next Christian leader to bring revival kick people who had cancer and say that God told them to do it while secretly having an affair with his secretary and then leaving his wife for that person. I've read letters of people, even in this church, 
that after signing up to a mailing list, get threatening letters to send gifts of $100 for miracle breakthrough and financial breakthrough, and the letters get increasingly more and more aggressive. I've seen a minister stand at the front of his church and beg or shout at them to give him $65 million for a private jet because the jet that he had wasn't good enough. I have known of financially poor people who have remortgaged their homes on the word of their pastor to support a building project and then be kicked to the curb whenever they raised their voice about something that they didn't like. I have met so, so many people that have been spiritually abused by the people that said that they were shepherds going to the house of God in fear, not the fear of the Lord, but the fear of the leaders who stood at the doors. Folks, this is the world that we live in. These are the days that we live in. When we look around the church, this is what, this is what I see, and it absolutely breaks my heart. God's people, Israel, were rescued from slavery, from a pharaoh who abused them, who ruled over them, who was cruel to them. God rescued his people from that and brought them out to worship him in freedom and in liberty and in life and in joy and in peace. God frees the slaves. He doesn't enslave people. And it's my fear that sometimes, folks, children of God have come under the rule of new pharaohs, systems of religiosity and power games, mafia masquerading, as ministers, I said that right, mafia masquerading as ministers. A favorite singer of mine, Jason Upton, wrote a song, and this is the line he used in it, powerful weaklings who practice their politics, stealing from Jesus, his beautiful bride. And folks, this is what's going on in our day and in our time. There's people sitting in front of TV screens, giving to people and ministers but they're vile and they're wicked and they're cruel. And they're not out for your benefit to love you and help you in your relationship with God. They're out to line their own pockets. We need to be very careful, folks. It would not be appropriate this morning to talk about the second thing that they did, but deviant behavior and abuses of power and immorality never are too far. It's never too far away from these types of people. Never too far away from the people we've been talking about. So-called prophets who even exchange prophetic words for relations with people is a thing that should never even be mentioned. But folks, it is. It is. Maybe you're sitting going, Bill, that's very, very harsh. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 15. Watch out for false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ferocious wolves. They were the words of Jesus to his followers and to people of his day. Watch out. Watch out for people that look like sheep, but inwardly are really wolves. See, a wolf who's coming to get your stuff and to tear you down and devour you won't come in here dressed like a wolf. They'll come looking like the most nice, nicest sheep you've ever seen say all the right things, play the part really, really well, but actually inside, they're looking to devour you. And we have a lot of this. 
First Timothy 4 verse 1, Paul talking to a young minister, Timothy, the Spirit clearly says in latter times some will abandon the faith following deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Here you have again Paul talking to Timothy saying that in the latter times, folks, we're living in those latter times right now, some people are abandoning the reality and the faith that we've, been, we've received in God's word. Some people are going away from that. Things taught by demons, there's strong language. Such teaching comes through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. We're hearing a lot of this today. In 2 Timothy 3 verse 1, but understand this, in the last days again, there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness, but denying its power. What that is, that's actually having an outward exterior as if you look the part, but actually inside the power of God that brings about change and purity and holiness is totally not there. That's what he means by that. For among them, listen to this, how is this so like the days of Eli and his sons? For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning, but never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Folks, these are the days in which we are living today. And truthfully, and I'm sharing my heart with you because this stuff is, oh, if I had, yeah, I'll not go into that, but I'm really tired. The world that we live in today, we are living in the backlash of the finger-pointing and the self-righteousness that happened in the last generation. We're living in the backlash of that, where nobody wants to say, that's not right, that's not right. Everybody's afraid to say that because that comes across as hard and cold. Folks, I'm really worried about the people of God who are in the position where they're being abused and manipulated and no one wants to say, that's a wolf. Run, that's a wolf. Because then what happens is the person who's masquerading as a minister, gets away with all of that. And the people who are decimated and devoured get destroyed. We need to be discerning people, able to understand right and wrong, and able to say, that's a wolf. Run, stay away. That's what I'm telling you today. This is a challenge for us all. And how does it come to us as individuals, well, folks, we're all priests of the Lord now. We're all in a position of a relationship with God. We're all trying to show God to the world around us. We all have a responsibility to walk in integrity, walk in cleanness, and not in the vileness that we have been seeing from our text this morning. People are looking at us, and people who are looking for God are looking to his church. And what are they seeing? What are they seeing when they look to the church? When they're searching for something more than what they're experiencing? 
I hope they're not going to places like here at Shiloh. I hope they're not going into environments where they're getting berated for gifts that's going to cure all their ills. I hope they're not being sold miracle water to have breakthrough. I hope they're not being shouted at for not buying a 65 million pound jet. But this is what's out there. And people are seeing this. That's the sad thing. Is our lives, the way we live before God, the way we treat one another, the value we place on others, is that going to be helpful in leading people to God? Or is it going to be a hindrance in driving people away from God? And I'm so grateful for the grace and the mercy of God that covers us when we fall, that when we confess, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. But here's something we often overlook the grace and the power of God to forgive you of your sin is the same grace and power that enables you to live right, to change the path that you're on. See, what we're seeing in, in Eli's two boys is they're on a path and they've been on that path their whole lives and there's been no change even when their father challenges them and brings them a stark warning. They're just like, whatever. And people who are on this path of abuse and tearing people down and hurting people and lining their own pockets, their consciences are totally seared. They have no inclination of turning away. They're just going to get away with it as long as they can. And then when they're caught out, they'll take a wee step back and then they'll be back up in another year doing exactly the same thing. Their consciences have been seared. How are we in that regard? Are we living right? Are we walking right with integrity? Are we living and serving others around us? The power of God enables us to live differently. Folks, I share this this morning, and there's a bit of a weight to it, and I know that, but I believe that for far too long, the church have covered up things that they should have been calling out. And we talk often, and we look often at the whole scandal within the Catholic church, and rightfully so, and we say that things that happened there have not been right. But folks, the same thing has happened in the Protestant church too. People who have done things who have not been held to account, yearly basis, doing it over and over again, and people, even in this room, have been damaged as a result. We need to be people who stand up for these things. We need to be people who protect the weak. We need to be people who stand for freedom and justice and equality for all people, and not just whenever somebody is of a high standing. We need to look after the weak sheep. We need to put ourselves on the line whenever people are trying to be taken advantage of others. Maybe you think I'm being too hard, and come and chat to me afterwards if, I think, if you think that I am. But let me read to you what happens next as we come to a close. Let me read to you how God feels about this stuff, folks. First Samuel Verse two, or chapter 2, verse 27. This is the last passage I'm going to read. So you might be saying, Bill, we, we can't do that. You know, we can't say things like that because you know, that's not our place and we need to just let, let people get on with things and, and whatever. But, but wait to hear what God does. Now a man of God came to Eli. So this is a prophet who comes to Eli and says to him, this is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to you and your ancestors' family while you were still in Egypt under Pharaoh? 
I choose your, choose your ancestor out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod in my presence. I also give your ancestor's family all the food offerings presented by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribe for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people, Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that members of your family would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house so that no one in it will reach old age. And you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done in Israel, no one in your family line will ever reach old age. Now I want you to read the rest of that when you go home. But what God is saying to Eli here, I was establishing your family line to serve as my priests but now that's done. I'm going to cut you off and your family line from serving at my altar because of what you've been doing. I told you what to do and you didn't do it. You abused my people and here is the result. And folks, there's no coming back from this for Eli and his family. After his sons die and after Eli dies, that's it. So don't tell me that God's okay with us all being okay, with abuse going on to his people. He's not. He is serious. And when he sees his people that he redeems from the slavery of sin, being abused, he is not happy. He's not okay with it. And we see it here, how severe the judgment of God is on this family line. The two boys die in one day. And Eli, not long after, dies himself. And that's it. God is not happy with what goes on in these times. There are times when God says enough is enough. There are times when God disciplines people. There are times when God brings about judgment. Now, some of us don't like to hear that, but there are times when he acts because the wickedness just gets to a certain level and what's going on is not good. And if you don't agree with me, ask Ananias and Sapphira. New Testament, family, hiding back what they had vowed to give to God. Ask Herod, who stood and was heralded as a great a God because of his great speech and didn't give glory to God and was struck down. It's New Testament, folks, not Old Testament. Times when God says, enough is enough. God will not put up with the abuse of his people forever. And I don't know if what we're saying here this morning goes a bit wider, but if you are in ministry and you're in it to abuse and line your own pockets, this is a warning. God will not put up with the abuse of his people forever. He will act in judgment. He will say that that is enough. Folks, God loves us so, so much. All of us are the one sheep that went away from the 99 that he ran after, that he gave his life for. He is the one who protects us. He is the good shepherd who gives and gave his life for the sheep. How do you think he feels when wolves creep in 
and devour that for which he gave his life for. He's not okay with it. And I think to some degree, he will hold us accountable for not speaking up. I think for some degree, he will say to us, why did you not mention when that wolf came in to destroy my people? Why did you not do anything? Why did you sit as if it was someone else's responsibility? These are the days that we're living in. And I would encourage you folks, be discerning, be wise, and stand up for God's people. As we bring this to a close, here's the big question that God poses to us all this morning. Are we going to be a family and individuals like Elkanah and Hannah who gave to the Lord that which mattered most because they recognized who he was? Or are we going to be like Eli and his sons? Maybe not the sons, but maybe the Eli who overlooked the sin of his sons who said nothing. Year after year, they did this. And he stood and watched didn't say anything. And then he tries to challenge them when he's old and he gets to the end of his life and he hasn't really got the strength to do anything about it. He says, boys, what you're doing is not good. Do you know, it's not really on. I fear that we've got like Eli. We're standing watching the wickedness as it goes on, saying nothing. And we'll wait until it gets too late. Until the hundreds of families that have been decimated by mafia within the church ranks are sitting in their homes this morning not wanting to come to church because they were terrified that they might get abused again. If you do door-to-door work, that's what you'll come across. Scores and scores of people that say, oh, I really wanted to follow God, but I got hurt in church so much and I just can't face it again. That's the way it is in our country today because we've overlooked this stuff for far too long. And see, with our global kind of media stuff. This stuff is, is brought right into the house of people where there's no gateway, there's no blockade, there's no one standing up. And the examples I've given you this morning of people haven't used any names, but maybe you could piece it together who they are. This could be repeated a hundredfold as we look around the world. Folks, be careful. And I pray that we all are people like Elkanah and Hannah who live and walk in integrity, giving our lives to God, our offering to him, and we're not like Eli that overlooks the wickedness and we're still that we're not like his sons who intentionally abuse the people for their own end and their own benefit. That's the challenge. I'm gonna pray. The worship team are gonna come and we're gonna close with a song. This morning, let's just take a moment to think, maybe to examine, maybe to listen to maybe something God wants to say into our lives. Lord, first of all, we pray today for even those in this service and those watching or listening that have walked through cycles of abuse in your church, Lord. 
that have been hurt and wounded by people in positions who were practicing their power games and not really have any concern for the people. And I pray, God, that you would cause there to be healing in their hearts. Lord, you would cause them to know that you're the good shepherd, that your heart is to love and to restore and to cause to walk in freedom and liberty and life, and that that wasn't you, God. That was people. I pray, God, that you would restore, Lord, our focus and turn our focus and our attention towards you, Lord, when we can so easily get caught up with all that goes on around us. And Lord, I pray that in these days where we're living in the, the backlash and living in an age of political correctness and not being able to say what's actually true, but more concerned about how people feel about it, I pray, God, that you would, be, you would help us be people who stand for what's right. Lord, to walk in integrity and to speak the truth and speak it in love, Lord, but speak the truth in our day. Lord, help us be people like Hannah who give to you what matters most to us because we recognize that our lives are to be for your glory and for your honor. Help us walk like Elkanah year after year, serving you, wanting to worship you, even through the midst of pain and difficulty, but always walking with integrity. And Lord, please, please, Protect us from the likes of Eli's sons who are out to, to hurt and to harm, who are wolves and who are wicked. God, protect us as we seek to live for you and walk before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm.